0: turn together in our Bibles to John chapter 7 verse 37. Last week we started talking about the invitation of Jesus. In this chapter that's All about how people were responding to Jesus there in Jerusalem. We come to the final passage, at least the final one that we're going to cover in it. Where Jesus extends one of His most famous invitations. He gave it at the Feast of Tabernacles. That was the setting for this invitation of Jesus. We talked about... That setting last Sunday morning, the Feast of Tabernacles, what it was, what it meant, what it was like. It was one of the major Jewish religious feasts. Thousands upon thousands of Jews would have been there, gathered from all around the known world of that time. They would have been in it, remembering God's provision for their ancestors when they were in the wilderness before getting to the promised land in particular, they would have been remembering how God had provided for them manna from heaven and water from the rock. This feast also occurred around the time of the harvest. And so with it, There was a celebration of that. They were very thankful for what God had provided for them. With both of these things, there was a great expectation of the Messiah coming that went along with the Feast of Tabernacles. They would have seen Him as the fulfillment of God's provision in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, they would have seen Him as the fulfillment of the great harvest of God. And so they would have really been amped up about the Messiah coming and delivering them from Rome. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was this grand ceremony. It had been a part of the previous day's ceremonies as well but on the last day they didn't just do it once they would have done it seven times and that would have been taking this golden pitcher of water the high priest would from the pool of Siloam and leading the people back to the temple and before the altar of God throwing out this pouring out this pitcher seven times and they would go through it over and over again and with it They would have offered this prayer for water. For physical water, it was the time of year when uh, their water supplies were running short, but it was also a prayer for spiritual water. That God would fulfill the many prophecies in the Old Testament that compared the coming of the Messiah to the never ending flow of water. That was the setting. I want you to listen to this invitation of Jesus with that setting in mind once again. Verse 37, John chapter 7. On the last and most important day of the festival, which I've just described, which we talked about more last Sunday, Jesus stood up and He cried out, If anyone is thirsty... And they would have been. I mean, the whole thing was a picture of the thirst of the people. The physical thirst of the people, the spiritual thirst of the people. In this setting, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to Me and drink. The one who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, we'll have streams of living water flow from deep within Him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. I told you last Sunday morning that in this invitation of Jesus, in addition to the setting, the second thing that I wanted us to notice were the parts of the invitation of Jesus. And I said that there were four of them. We covered the first two last Sunday morning. The first part of the invitation of Jesus was to anyone. And it shows us how broad the invitation of Jesus is. He is in a crowd that had all sorts of people. Jesus extends an invitation to any one of them. And His invitation is just as broad today. In our crowd this morning, in the crowd of this world, the invitation of Jesus is to anyone. The second part of the invitation of Jesus was to the thirsty. I told you that This whole setting spoke to how thirsty the people were, physically and spiritually. Jesus, knowing that setting, speaks to them if anyone is thirsty. The invitation of Jesus today still goes out to thirsty people because all of us are thirsty. There are needs wants, desires that we have that are unmet. We are dissatisfied in some of those areas, if not many of them. And Jesus speaks to people just like that, just like us, to thirsty people, indicating that He is the only One who can quench all of our thirst. That brings us to the third part of the invitation of Jesus, which is where we begin today. The third part of the invitation of Jesus is to come. Now we have heard this, at least if you were here last week, we have heard this invitation already. Not only here in John chapter 7, but I read from a couple of passages in the Old Testament that emphasize this. One of them was, Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. It says, Come, anyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you without money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Sounds a whole lot like the invitation of Jesus in John chapter 7, doesn't it? All those major parts of the invitation... Are there. And here we're thinking about, in particular, the part of the invitation where Jesus says, Come. Won't cost you anything. I've already purchased it. You just come. The other passage that I referenced last week is not from the Old Testament, but from the last book of the New Testament. In fact, it's from the last chapter of the New Testament. In fact, it's from the last few verses. Of the last chapter of the New Testament or the Bible, Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 says, Both the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bribe, the church, the people of God say, Come. Anyone who hears should say, Come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. So we've already heard that invitation. We hear it here. We heard it last week. If you've read the Bible, you could probably bring up other passages that speak in just the same way. The invitation of Jesus is to come. To come to Him. And that means to move from where you are and where you're going to Jesus. To move from where you are and where you're going to where Jesus is. And to where He's going. This is a crucial, vital, important step. Part of the invitation of Jesus. I say that because some people hear the first part of the invitation of Jesus, which is to anyone... And they hear that word, anyone, and here's the way they interpret it. When they hear anyone, they conclude that everyone will be saved. But that's not the case. I say that this is a crucial and vitally important part because there are other people who will hear the second part of the invitation of Jesus to the thirsty... And they think that they're okay because they thirst. But as we saw last week, generic thirst is not enough. It must be a specific thirst for righteousness, for salvation. So the third part of the invitation of Jesus is to come to Him. And I ask you very simply then, Have you come to Jesus? From the oldest to the youngest among us this morning, here's what I'm asking. Have you come to Jesus? Has there ever been a time in your life where you moved from where you were and where you're going to where Jesus is and to where He's going? To who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? I'll ask it another way. Not simply, have you come to Jesus? But are you coming to Jesus? Are you? I mean, day by day, day after day, week after week, do you find yourself coming to Jesus? Because if you really have come to Jesus, you're always going to be coming to Jesus. And if you aren't, then it's probably an indication that you've never really come in the first place at all third part of the invitation of Jesus is to come. The fourth part then of the invitation of Jesus is to drink. To drink. It's not even enough to come to Jesus. And I would give you as an example Judas, who physically came to Jesus, but obviously it wasn't enough. Jesus spoke of him as being the son of Satan, the son of hell. He said it would have been better off for him if he had never been born. I'd also give you as, as an example the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. But did not receive the salvation that Jesus invited people to. I would also give you as an example that coming to Jesus is not enough The crowds that we've already encountered numerous times in the Gospel of John who physically came to Jesus, following Jesus around, going wherever He went, but they were not saved. One further example that coming to Jesus is not enough is the many people today who claim Jesus as Savior. But they obviously don't have Him. And I say they obviously don't have Him because it's obvious that He doesn't have them. So coming, even coming, is not enough. We must drink. We must drink from Jesus. We must drink of Jesus. Like a glass of water or a glass of tea, or a cup of coffee, or a bottle of your favorite soda. We must drink from Jesus. You know, if you're dying of thirst, it's not enough to come to the river. It's not enough to come to the water fountain. you got to drink, don't you? So Jesus, in this last part of His invitation... It says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It means we must take him in. We must quench our thirst on him. We must take in what he offers and what he provides. It means that we must take in or drink who he is as Lord and Savior. And we must take in or drink what He has done in His perfect life. And His death as a sacrifice and a substitute for sinners on the cross. And His victorious resurrection. It means that's what we must be drinking day by day. I'm drinking Jesus. I'm drinking Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm quenching my thirst on that. I'm quenching my thirst by drinking in what Jesus has done for me and done for His people. Jesus here invited any thirsty person from this crowd to come to Him and drink. You think about that. Big crowd. Every kind of person imaginable. And Jesus says, if any one of you is thirsty, just come to me and drink all you want and be satisfied. And what he's really saying is, you must come to me and drink for it's the only way that you will ever be satisfied. And there are numbers of people here this morning who could testify to that truth. Spent a lot of years thirsty and drinking in a lot of different things. Sometimes even physical things, to try to satisfy that gnawing in our gut, but could say, praise God, by His grace, He finally brought me to a point of realizing that all of those at best were just temporary satisfactions for my thirst. And the only satisfaction I've ever found is in Christ. Did y'all know that Jesus is still inviting people today? Jesus is still, even as we read this living, eternal Word of God this morning, He is inviting us this morning in just the same way He would have been inviting these people 2,000 years ago. During this Christmas season, Jesus is extending this invitation, the purpose of His birth and His coming. If anyone is thirsty, are you with me? If anybody's dissatisfied, if anybody has a longing, come to me and drink, and I will satisfy you, and I'll satisfy you forever. The fourth part of the invitation of Jesus is to drink. Have you? I asked you a moment ago, have you come to Jesus? Now I'm asking, have you drunk from Jesus? Have you drunk of Jesus? Has there ever been a time where you realized your thirst and you realized that nothing else could satisfy and you came to Jesus and you drank? How many of you could testify this morning, I remember when I first drunk from Jesus. What a sweet drink it was. No Mountain Dew or Dr. Pepper or sweet tea has ever tasted better. Have you drunk from Jesus? I'll ask you another question like I did a while ago, which may help us to understand it better. It's not just an issue of have you drunk from Jesus, but I'm really asking you this morning, this text is demanding that it be asked of you, are you drinking from Jesus? What about it? Are you drinking from Jesus? It's important to understand the parts of the invitation of Jesus because in them we see the relevance Of His invitation. Knowing the setting here. Does that help you understand better the invitation of Jesus? I mean, He's speaking to people right where they are. He's speaking to us right where we are today. It, It helps us to see the appropriateness of this specific invitation of Jesus. It helps us to see and appreciate the awareness of Jesus. Jesus knows our needs. He knows what we want. He knows how even our illegitimate wants reflect a legitimate want that's deeper than that. And so He speaks to us in our want, in our dissatisfaction. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to Me and drink it. The parts of the invitation of Jesus here show us the intensity and the urgency of the invitation of Jesus. Did you see where it said, Jesus stood up and he cried out? That's intense. That's urgent. God help us to be intense and urgent in responding to the invitation of Jesus and continuing to respond to it. And God, help us to be intense and urgent about sharing with others the invitation of Christ. Studying the parts of the invitation of Jesus help us to see the opportunity that exists because He invites Isn't that wonderful to think that God, eternal God, who became a man, invites us unto Himself? Who else out there in the world that the world would consider important is inviting any of us to do anything? I haven't gotten any invitations to a Christmas gala at the White House. My favorite football coach hasn't invited me to come exchange gifts with him this Christmas season. I mean, my family invites me. But they probably feel compelled to do so. And to be really honest, it's probably about having Cheryl there much more than it is me. To be even more honest, Cheryl, it's probably not about having you there. It's about having our kids there. Do you get this? Jesus, the One who made it all, who runs it all, who sustains it all, He invites us unto Himself. The parts of the invitation of Jesus set the stage for the third thing about the invitation of Jesus I want you to notice. We saw last Sunday morning the setting for the invitation of Jesus. We began last Sunday morning to talk about The parts, we finished that up this morning. Now we come to the third thing that I want us to notice about the invitation of Jesus, and that's the meaning. And this is what it's all been headed towards: The meaning. What does it mean when Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to Me and drink? Well, we find the meaning in verses 38 and 39. Look there. The one who believes in Me... As the Scripture has said, and he's referencing there the Old Testament, the one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. So that's a part of what verse 37 means. But you want more of what it means? Look at verse 39. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. The Spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let me give you the meaning of the invitation of Jesus in a sentence. And then I'll expand on it. And some of you are thinking, we wish you didn't expand so much. We'll just take the sentence. Thank you very much. The meaning of the invitation of Jesus in a sentence. Believe on Jesus and you will be satisfied continually and forever by the Holy Spirit. The best I can put it together, that's it. That's the meaning... Of this invitation of Jesus. Believe on Jesus. And you will be satisfied continually and forever. By the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to expand some. To come and to drink. Mean to believe. Belief in Jesus, then, is the way that we drink Him. Belief in Jesus is the way that we drink from Him. Here's where the setting of all of this really illuminates in our mind what was going on here. What were the people remembering primarily in this feast? God's provision for Israel in the wilderness. And especially, they were remembering the manna and the water. On this day, the water was at the forefront of the people's minds because of that ceremony that accompanied this feast that had culminated on this day. In that setting, when Jesus stands up and says, If any of you are thirsty, come to Me and drink. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, I am the water from the rock. That's what He's saying. There would have been no other way for the people to interpret this. I am the water from the rock. The water from the rock that God provided through Moses for your ancestors was ultimately pointing to me. You are in a spiritual wilderness. You are thirsty. And I'm the water from the rock that Jesus has provided to give you life and to get you to the promised land. We could take it a step further and say... That Jesus is in essence saying, not only I'm the water from the rock, but I'm the rock from which we receive that sweet, sweet water. Jesus is saying then, this is marvelous. This is the equivalent. Do you remember the story of the guys on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion of Jesus? And they're bummed out and Jesus comes to them and before they ever know who He is, He shows them Himself from the whole Old Testament. This is the equivalent of that. Jesus is saying here, I am the provision of God. All the times that God provided for your ancestors in the past, it points to Me. Jesus is saying, the harvest that you celebrate, the physical harvest that you celebrate, that finds its fulfillment in me, for I will bring forth the harvest of God. In this context of them giving thanks for all these things, Jesus is really saying to the nation of Israel, I'm what you ought to be thankful for. All the other things that you give thanks for, they just point to me. Jesus is saying to them, I am the answer to your prayers. You're praying that God would send spiritual rain and He has. I'm here. And I'm not just offering you drops, showers of blessing. I'm offering you a river of blessing. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of, Of all Scripture, notice there it says, Jesus said, as the Scripture has said. He's showing them how all of the Old Testament. He's showing us how it all points to Him and is about Him. To believe in Jesus. To believe on Jesus then means to trust in Him. To count on Him. To depend on Him. Him, to rest in Him, to hope in Him, to have faith in Him, in who He is as Lord and Savior and in what He has done in His life and His death and His resurrection. It means to trust, depend, count, hope in Jesus to make us right with God because we're not right with God naturally. sin separates us. Both the sin of Adam and our own sin. It means to trust in Jesus then to make us right with God. To believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. To depend on Jesus for eternal life. When we believe, our thirst is quenched. It's quenched at that point initially, but then it continues to be quenched and is forever quenched as we keep believing. This is because when we believe, we receive the very Spirit of Christ. I don't mean to sound all 80s on you, but how neat... Well, actually, that's not '80s, is it? That's from some of you old fogies in the '50s and '60s. How neat is that? How neat is that? That the very spirit of Christ comes to live in us. He applies the salvation of Jesus to our lives. I'm talking here about the Holy Spirit whom we receive initially and fully, and whom we receive forever when we receive Christ through faith. He, the water from the rock who is prized, He, the Holy Spirit, quenches our thirst. Look at verse 39. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus We're going to receive the Spirit. Notice it says there. Everyone that would believe would do what? Would receive the Spirit. Everybody look up at me real quick. I want to eliminate some confusion biblically. There is no example of a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. That teaching that's out there and that is rapidly spreading is Very unbiblical teaching. Here, it says those who believe would receive. There's no ambiguity there. Romans 8 verse 9 is even less ambiguous. It says, for if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he doesn't have Christ. It is impossible to be saved apart from the work of the Spirit, and the presence of the Spirit of Christ. He said this then about the Spirit. For those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been received. Now that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet or wasn't around yet. The Holy Spirit is eternally the third person in the Trinity. He's been around as long as God has because He is God. But in the Old Testament era, The operation of the Holy Spirit was different. He did not live in every person of God. He only came on certain people who had something really important for God to do, and at that, He may have only come on them for certain periods of time until the work of God was accomplished in them. But all of that would change with the coming of Christ and the coming of the Messiah. The Spirit had not been given, but after Jesus would ascend and go back to heaven, the Spirit would be given after the glorification of Jesus. After His resurrection ascension back to heaven, at that point, the Spirit would be given and was given. Now look at back, back to verse 38. The one who believes in Me, as the Scripture has Will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. The Holy Spirit then is that stream of living water. The Holy Spirit is that river of the water of life that is inside every child of God. He is placed in us at salvation, deep within us. Now, He's not a pond. Ponds are steel. Ponds are stagnant. He instead is moving. And He is running water within us. And those who have Him can testify to that. He moves in me. He's not bitter or poisonous water, but He's sweet, living, life-giving water. He is not a one-time drink of water. But He is a continual supply of water that will never run out. I also find it significant here that it doesn't say He is a stream or river singular within you. It says very clearly in our language and the original that in you will flow streams or rivers, plural, of living water. Now that doesn't mean that there are multiple spirits. Just one Holy Spirit. But that does mean that we have multiple thirsts that need to be quenched. And He's the satisfaction for them all. He flows in us. And He also flows from us. You can't contain this river. There's no damming up the Spirit of Christ. And if I had time... I would show you all of the Old Testament passages or many of them that are being fulfilled here. But you could find in the Psalms, multiple times in the book of Isaiah, multiple times in the book of Ezekiel, references to the coming of the Messiah and life-giving water. Some of those passages in Ezekiel. Zechariah that are so hard to interpret for us. The exciting thing is really they are being fulfilled in Christ. Do you remember that passage from Ezekiel where he has that vision of the water coming forth from the throne? And then it rises up this far out there and then it goes all the way out into the world and gets really deep. That's fulfilled in Christ. And in the Spirit of Christ going to the world... And providing salvation for Jesus, or through Jesus, through all of the peoples of the world. In Joel chapter 2, he prophesied of a time when the Spirit of God would come and be poured out on all of God's people. And that, of course, was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, wasn't it? And Peter, in answer to the crowd's questions about what's going on, these people must be drunk. He said, no, they're not drunk, but what's being fulfilled is the prophecy from Joel who said that in the last days the Spirit of God would be poured out on all of God's servants, the men and the women. The young and the old. How about that? Every child of God gets the Spirit of God. All of them. All of this fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, the very last chapter of the Bible presents for us a scene that has to have something to do with this. Have you ever heard or read Revelation 22 where he sees God on the throne and from the throne is is flowing what? The river of life. And all of that language throughout the Bible speaks of salvation in Jesus and the Holy Spirit who provides it. The meaning of the invitation of Jesus is believe on Jesus and you will be satisfied continually and forever by the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, have you believed on Jesus? Have you received the Holy Spirit? You say, well, I'm not exactly sure how to be sure of that. How can I know if I've received the Holy Spirit? Well, one way... Is by asking yourself, are your thirst quenched? Another way would be asking yourself this question. Does the Spirit of God flow in me in a living way like is being talked about here? This is presented as normative. Not the exception for the people of God. In them, the Spirit of God will flow like a mighty living river. Are you drinking from the Spirit? Now we have studied and heard this morning the invitation of Jesus, and last Sunday morning as well. With that, we come now to our invitation. But I would remind you that our invitation today and every Sunday is the invitation of Jesus, which is, if any one of you is thirsty... Come to Jesus and drink. If your desires, your wants, your needs are not satisfied and you see that the cause of this is your sin, both your own and sin that's in the world, believe on Jesus and receive His Holy Spirit. It's a river of life who will quench your thirst now and continually and forever. Now maybe you have. But you're in a spiritual drought. Any Christian could say that this morning? In a dry time in my life. Thirsty. Dissatisfied. Know something's not wrong. Repent. And believe. And keep on repenting and believing. Seek refreshment in Jesus, not other things. Drink from the Spirit who is already in you. Keep coming and drinking. It's not enough to drink in once. And Christian, don't be a pond. Some of us Christians are ponds. We've got water in us, but there's no water going from us. You want to become dry, Christian? Then just act like a pond. But I would remind you that if there is no outlet, water becomes stagnant, even good water. And that may be what's going on in your life. You're like the Dead Sea spiritually. Unleash the river of the Spirit to others. Charles Spurgeon once compared the spirit in believers to a river and barges. He looked out over the city of London most every day and specifically could see the River Thames and those huge barges that would be there to transport stuff. And when the tide was in, anybody could push those barges around. But when the tide would go out, No amount of people or no amount of machinery could move those barges. He said it's that way with the Spirit in us. What we need to pray, believers, for is that the tide would come in again. The Holy Spirit will float your boat. Why don't you pray until he does? This is the invitation of Jesus. Would you stand with me and bow your heads and close your eyes?